All right, all right. Hey, good morning. Oh, you're too busy talking. Okay, good morning. Hey, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Pastor Dale. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. So we're going to go into the Word and worship as we listen to the Word of God. So open your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We are in a series called Something Changes Everything. We've been learning through encounters with Jesus Christ on his way to the cross, on the cross, after the resurrection, and now we're going to see a final encounter shortly before Christ literally leaves the earth to ascend back to heaven. And we're going to see a fourth encounter of a fourth person and find that in reality, Jesus Christ, when we encounter him, who he is, understanding what he's done, changes everything. And today, the key theme is grace, is grace. As always, I'm going to give you an outline that will help you track and get a little more out of the message. If you want to follow along with that, pull it out now. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for the chance to celebrate your resurrection last week, to see your impact in the lives of uh, those that encountered you on the road. Uh, thank you, Father, for the impact you have in our life. And now today, I pray that you... Um, you unlock for us uh, some of the beauty and mystery of your grace and teach us how to respond to that <clears throat> so that it changes us and equips us to be able to be used by you too. Uh, we love you and we thank you for your word that we study in Christ's name. All God's people said amen. Amen. You know, every great life in fact, let me broaden it, every life has seasons of failure and frustration. A lot of times, uh, one of the things I love about the Word of God that for me is one more of many evidences that this really is Holy Scripture. It really is a book produced by God for us is the way that the Word of God shows us the flaws, the failures of even the heroes of our faith. No other religious book does that. It's unique with Scripture. And it shows us the authenticity of God, the honesty of God as He unfolds for us even some of the worst struggles and flaws of its heroes. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, and we're not going to study him today, but perhaps the spirit of what I'm getting at is best reflected when the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7:15 this statement. He said, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. See, Paul was transparent about the fact that even as he loved Christ, served Christ, took the gospel to the world, uh, wrote more scripture than anyone else in the New Testament for sure. You know, the apostle Paul expresses that frustration that sometimes he fails. He fails to live up to what he wants to be, desires to be. Today we're going to look at another life, the life of Peter. Because Peter's another great example of a guy that had tremendous highs and lows in his life. Peter is known as a guy whose faith was known for boldness. For, for being the first out of the boat, literally, when Jesus came to them walking on the water. Remember that story? 
And he said to his apostles, so, so, uh, so come and, and come to me then. And Peter was the only one that literally took Jesus up on that challenge, got out of the boat, and began to walk on the water by faith. Now we know later he lost his focus, began to sink, and Christ had to rescue him. But Peter was out of the boat. Peter was the first guy to always speak. We have more words recorded of what Peter said to Jesus than any other disciple. Because Peter always had an opinion. Peter always had a thought. Sometimes his thoughts were incredibly on target where, where Jesus would say, Peter, that's incredible. That was a gift from God to you. Other times, moments later actually, Jesus would turn to Peter and say, Peter, that is wrong. Why in the world do you say that? That is from Satan himself. Shut up, basically. You know, so Jesus was always in a conversation with Peter, and Peter never lacked an opinion. Peter was never afraid to speak up. We know that Peter, for example, if you see the backdrop of today's story, let me just kind of begin to unpack that, because the backdrop of today's story really is Peter's failure and fall. Peter was coming to today's story before we go into it in John 21 with a tremendous life of ups and downs and expressing his confidence. For example, when Jesus was, was, um, was, was gathering his disciples in the upper room and he told them, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to die. Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to die. And he says, hey, you know, and then Peter says, look, Jesus, and he says, some of you will desert me. And, and, and Peter says, no, 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 everyone else will desert you, but I will not desert you. I will die for you. And he was vocal about it. And then it was Peter that after Jesus was arrested and went on trial, because Jesus said to Peter, no, Peter, you will deny me. You will fail. In fact, Peter, before the cock crows, before the rooster crows, you will fail me, you will deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter didn't believe it. And then Peter was watching from a distance as Jesus went through his trials, went through his beatings. And they saw Peter and someone, a servant girl, accused him and said, I think he's one of the followers. He's a disciple of this Jesus. And Peter said, no, 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 I don't know him. And then he said a second time, no, 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 I think you are one of those Galileans. You're one of those disciples of Jesus. And he says, no, I don't know the man. And the third time they said, I know you are one of his disciples. It says that Jesus denied it with cursing. In other words, if he throws in a few four-letter words, surely that'll convince them no one who's a follower of Jesus is going to act like that. And, and, he, and, and he denied him a third time with cursing. And, and about that time, the cock crowed, and Jesus looked across the courtyard, and he caught the eye of Peter, and they locked eyes. And Peter, I'm sure, felt an incredible sense of shame. He had disappointed not only Jesus, he had disappointed himself. So Peter, the bold one that said, I will die for you, the bold one that said, I will never desert you. The bold one that said, the rest of these guys might, but I won't, he did. And that's why when we study today's story, you've got to understand that backdrop. Because the backdrop is one of fear in Peter's life and failure and fall. Although incredible highs of faith, but then incredible, an incredible fall at the end. So as we come into today's story now, Jesus has gone to the cross Jesus has died for our sins. He's rose from the dead. 
Peter was one of the first to run to the tomb, look in, and believe. So we know that Peter understands Jesus is risen. He's alive. But now still, still I think Peter is dealing with his own shame. Now, how do, why do I think that? Here, here's, there's several hints. Before we go to today's story, understand the rhythm of Jesus showing up after his resurrection. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared first to Cephas, which is Peter. He appeared first to Peter and then to the rest of the disciples. So we know that the first thing Jesus did was he went looking for Peter. Resurrected, he had some type of a one-on-one encounter with Peter. We have no record of that in the rest of Scripture, except that we know it happened. Man, wouldn't you like to have been there? Wouldn't you like to know that story? But as far as we know, there's nothing recorded. There is nothing recorded in Scripture about that encounter. And then Jesus has not one, not two, but three group encounters with the disciples. So none of them could be accused of having a weird dream or imagining the resurrection or or hallucinating the resurrection. He met with them as groups three times. The first time he comes into the house when they're afraid with with the doors locked and Jesus comes right through the wall. Jesus comes right into the house and, and appears to them. And they're all gathered except Thomas. But Peter's there and Jesus shows himself to the disciples as the risen Lord. And by the way, do you remember what Peter said? What did he say? Anybody remember? Well, guess what? You don't remember because he said nothing. No other major encounter with Jesus that I can remember in the life of Peter did he have nothing to say. I think Peter is probably sitting with that sense of shame Man, I opened my mouth and I said, I would never leave this guy. I would never desert you. I will die for you. And then, I, and then I wimped out. Then I denied you not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus, Peter says nothing. Jesus appears to them as a group. Then Jesus leaves. We know eight days later that the scriptures tell us that Thomas is there this time. And Thomas is the doubter, right? Doubting Thomas, that's his nickname. He says, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch him and see the scars on his hand. And and so Jesus does a second appearance to the disciples as a group. And this time, Thomas sees and touches the wounds of Christ and believes. And Peter's there and he sees the whole thing. And you know what Peter says? Nothing. Peter says nothing. All of a sudden now, it's almost like Peter's in the corner of the room and he's there and he's part of the team. But you know something? It's like, you know something, I'm kind of done saying that I'll never desert you. I'm done making empty promises I can't keep because I can't keep my own. Even what I said I would never do, I did it. And today we're going to study the third time that Jesus is going to show up to meet with the disciples as a group. But before we study that, I want you to understand the heart of Peter. Because Peter did what he said he would do never ever do so i want you now to imagine a sin a failure that right now you would say if i said to you will you ever you would say no 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 i won't i would never do that what's coming to your mind Something you think, you know, I may do a lot of things. I would never do that. Yeah. So you'd say you would never kill somebody. You would never abuse somebody. You would never do this. You would never do that. Whatever it is in your mind right now, now imagine this. Imagine, Carol, that you just 
got so angry at George. Let's, let's step up your husband, you know. You know, it's, you know, and, and you, in, in a rage, you, pow, you knocked him off. Oh, my goodness, yeah. So whatever it is, imagine you just did that. And imagine Jesus actually looked at you across the room and he watched you do it. You looked up and, oh, my gosh, Jesus, just watch me do this. Imagine the sense of, gain, of, of shame and guilt that you would carry. That's Peter. That's Peter. And the reality is, Peter's story is your story. Peter's story is my story. Because the question of the morning is, how do we take a man like Peter, who feels such a deep sense of guilt and shame having failed, and how do you actually call him out of his failure, put him back on his feet, and actually use him for the kingdom of God? That's what's going to happen today. And it's not just about Peter. It's about all the times that you and I think, you know, certainly God can't use me. Let's go. Let's pick it up. Now we pick up our story in John chapter 21. The third mass appearance where Jesus appears to a multitude of the disciples. It says, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Verse 2. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana of Galilee and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of the disciples were together. And Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll come with you. And they went out and they got into their boat and that night they caught nothing. Now I realize that when, Jesus, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, this is not what we mean when we say, I'm going fishing. Okay, I'm going fishing for Peter means I'm going back to work. He was a professional fisherman. That's how he supported his family. That was his business. He was a pro at catching fish on the Sea of Galilee. That was his occupation. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah, we're waiting for our next marching orders from the risen Jesus. We know Jesus is alive. We know, he's, we know that it's real now, but we know we're not sure what the next step is. And, and I'm tired of waiting. I'm going fishing. And the other guy said, we'll go with you. And Peter goes back to the job that he had had for many, many years. If it was today in San Diego, maybe he'd say, you know, I'm going back to Qualcomm. I'm going back to my research. I'm going to go back to my IT job. I'm going to go back to teaching. I'm going to go back to, to building the next project that I build as a construction guy. I'm going to go back to the law firm. I'm going back. And, 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 there's, and it's not sin, by the way. The idea that Peter did this, I don't think he was in sin. I think maybe he needed to make a living, support his family. It was time to do something. And while he's waiting, if you're, if you're anxious and you're, you're wondering, how do I deal with the anxiety of what's next, you know? He says, well, I'm going to go do what I, what I do best and know most. I'm going to go back fishing. And he goes out to fish. And, and then, then it adds that phrase, and he caught nothing. All night long, they caught nothing. These are pros, and pros never come back with nothing. What's going on behind the scenes is Jesus is on the beach. Jesus is on the beach. Jesus is watching. And in fact, Jesus, as the Lord of the universe, 
is under the water. If you had an underwater camera and you could see the hand of God, what you would see is you'd see schools of fish coming around the boat and you'd see them take that net and get ready to throw it. And you'd see the hand of God miraculously just kind of, just kind of move those fish out of the way. They get nothing. So they try the other side of the boat, you know. Woo, the fish kind of move. So God is sovereignly moving the fish around to make sure they catch nothing because Jesus is about to speak and show up. Verse 4. And when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. And this is what I call the miracle catch, the second miracle catch that he had experienced. Jesus is on the beach, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. We learn later he was about 100 yards away. So Jesus said to them, and I love this, Children, do you have any fish? You don't, oh, actually, you do not have any fish, do you? Now, how in the world does someone on the beach know that the boat is empty of fish? See, there's miracle after miracle happening here that shows Jesus is really God. Number one, he keeps them from catching the fish. Number two, he knows that the, the boat is totally empty. And then I love the sense of humor. I think God laughs more than we realize, and I think God loves a good laugh. So Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, men. He says, children, calls them kids. Hey, kids, you don't have any fish, do you? So he's kind of taunting them, and their answer is short. No, probably ticked off. There may have been a few other language words in there that we don't have translated. But anyway, but they yelled, no. You know, and, and then he says, well, then throw your net over on the other side. And, and, and one more time. So he says, okay. So they throw the net one more time. And all of a sudden, what happens? Here it is. It's right in the Word of God. It says, so they cast, and they were not even able to haul in the net because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's a nickname for John, by the way. He's always referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a very special love relationship with Jesus. So John, the author of this book, so then the, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon people, Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea to swim to shore. But the other disciples came in their little boat, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish, because it was so full of fish they couldn't even get it out of the water so they're dragging his net load of fish we learn later it's 150 plus fish whoppers and 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 peter though puts his robe on and dives in now usually it's the opposite you take your robe off and you dive in but i think out of respect for the fact he was coming into the presence of god almighty himself and as Lord Jesus, he puts the robe on, probably out of respect, dives into the water to swim into the shore. Because when they work at night, they're working in pretty much what you and I would call boxer shorts, okay? They're kind of working in their boxers or their gym trunks, maybe. If you want to picture that, it's a little better. But, uh, you know, but, they, but they, he puts on his, his outer garment, jumps in the water, swims in to meet Jesus, while the other guys bring in the load of fish. And it's another miracle catch. It's not the first time this has happened. If you remember in Luke chapter 5, here it is on, on the screen. Luke 5, 4 says this, And when he had finished speaking, this is going back when Jesus first met Peter, he said to Simon, Simon was his name then, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding we'll let down our nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. There were so many fish. 
So all of a sudden it hits Peter. I mean, I've seen this before. And John realized we've seen this before. We know this episode, and we know nobody does that. We go all night, catch nothing. That's a miracle. We throw it in, and we catch this huge school of fish. Miracle number two. It tells us later that the nets didn't even break, which was miracle number three. It's full of miracles. But this is God. That's no problem with miracles. Peter also knew that Jesus said this to him that day. He said, Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. See, Simon knew, Peter knew that Jesus, the very God of the universe, the one who was now resurrected from the dead, was on the beach. And he knew that he was behind this miracle catch, the second miracle catch that he had experienced. So now what happens is now they have breakfast together. I love this breakfast with Jesus scene. Verse 9, so when they got out of the boat, they saw a charcoal fire had already been laid and fish, uh, and fish were placed on it, had already been placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you just now caught. Let's get some fresh ones. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. That's a miracle in and of itself. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him. Well, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to him and the fish likewise and gave it to them. And now this was the third time that Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, we don't have time to dwell too much on this part of the passage, but I always want you to learn something about God. God is not just about business. He's about loving you. You know, I love the fact that Jesus Christ is, is only days away from ascending back to be with his heavenly Father into heaven and leaving the earth and his disciples in charge of growing his movement in the church. But yet, he knows they've been fishing all night long. They are hungry, they are tired, and at least Peter is really wet. And he says, you know, come around the fire. I got breakfast for you guys. Let's have breakfast. And he just loves on them. Feeds them breakfast. Feeds them breakfast. I love the grace of God that when he comes to us first, before he wants to tell us what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go, how he wants us to go around everywhere we live or to Africa, doesn't matter. First thing he says is, you know something? You are tired and hungry and Peter's wet. You guys come dry out around the fire. Let me serve you. See, when we talk about studying what it means to be a leader in your family, a leader in the church, a leader in your business, servant leadership is seeing the needs of your people and loving them and caring for them first before you do anything else. So it's a great, we could stop right here and you could go out and live this, right? You could put this into action in your marriage, in your business, in your job. But it goes on. And now we see what I call the encounter. Peter encounter with the call of grace and this is where we're going to see peter transformed because peter's already met one-on-one -on -one with jesus but yet every time after that he still just keeps his mouth shut peter meets jesus in a group twice says nothing so now jesus actually says to peter peter let's go for a walk you say wait a minute dale that's not in the bible 
Well, if you look at verse 20, look at verse 20. It says, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple that Jesus loved, John, following them. In other words, what's happening here is Jesus says, Peter, come with me. And now Peter and Jesus go for a walk, just the two of them, out of earshot of the other disciples, because grace is gentle, grace is loving. So Peter now goes for a walk with Jesus. And that's where we have this famous dialogue. Here it goes. So then as they're walking along, away from the others, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter as they walked, so Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my lambs. Take care of my spiritual lambs. He's referring to Obviously, to ministry, not just to being a shepherd. He's not a shepherd, he's a fisherman. He's talking about the Lamb of God calling him to take care of the flock, believers, my followers. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Then shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that. He said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know me. You can read my heart. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then tend my sheep. Now what we learn from this is rich. Here's how I would unpack it. The grace of God gives us this type of a call. The grace of God calls us to love Christ. And not just to love Christ, but there are hints in this passage of what kind of love he's asking for. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? That's preeminent love. That we need to love Christ more than we love anything else. You might want to say, what do these refer to? I think there are two options. And tell you the truth, I think it could be, a, it could be both. I don't really know for sure. He says, do you love me more than these? He might have been looking at the other disciples more than your friends, more than, the, more than any other person. Do you love me more than these? I really suspect he's looking at the pile of 153 whoppers. I think he's looking at what represents the biggest paycheck in Peter's life. He just brought in a load. He got the mother load of fish. These things will sell for big bucks in the market the next, later that day. You know, In other words, Peter, you're back in the business that I called you out of and you just had a big payday, thanks to me. I brought in the deal of the day. I brought in the deal of a lifetime. Peter, do you love me more than, more than making money, catching fish? Do you love me more than these? So I'm not sure if it's the people or the paycheck, but the bottom line is God says, love me more than anything or anyone in your life. That's what makes life work. So, Peter is being called to love Christ preeminently. Number two, he's being loved, we're being called, grace calls us to love Christ unconditionally. How do I see this? Because Jesus uses a Greek word that doesn't translate into the English very well. He says, I'll show it to you on the screen, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word uh, from the verb agape. Uh, and, and, and agapao or agape uh, love and, and agape love or agapao is love that is like it's often used of the love of God 
or it's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 of what the love of God is like, the preeminent love that's like the way God loves us. It's God's unconditional uh, preeminent love. And, and, and He wants us to love Him unconditionally. In other words, will you love me no matter what? And Peter's response to Jesus is, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he uses a different Greek word for love, which is, which is phileo. It means like brotherly love. It's love that's based out of a relationship. In other words, that's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. Okay? Uh, Philadelphia. So, you know, phileo is more of a brotherly love. It's not a bad love. It's a great love. You know, it's emotional connection that you feel with someone because you're family, for example. So Peter says, but you got to see that Peter wouldn't respond, yes, Lord, I'm going to love you unconditionally with, a, with the same love you love me with. I'm going to love you agape love. Peter couldn't make himself say it. Why? Because he knew he had opened his big mouth before. He had embarrassed himself and dishonored himself and shamed himself before Almighty God. He wasn't going to make that mistake again. So he wasn't going to overpromise. Lord, you know I love you like a brother. So Jesus comes back a second time. He says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I, I follow you. I do love you. Now the fascinating thing is the third time Jesus asked Peter, a third time, do you love me? Jesus changes to phileo. Jesus says, well, Peter, okay, do you phileo me? And he says, Lord, you know me. You know all about me. You know that I phileo. You know that I love you like a brother. You know, and, and, and what do I see in that? Grace, the grace of God reaches out and he meets us where we are but challenges us to go further. He meets us at whatever love, whatever level of love we have and he still embraces us as he did Peter and he calls him to love with an agape love because that unconditional love of God is, is how God loves us and it's how God wants us to love him. But you know, God understands our heart. He understood the sense of shame and the sense of disappointment that Peter had in himself, the lack of confidence that Peter had in himself. Peter probably didn't really have a lot of confidence. That's why he's been so quiet every time after the resurrection. He says nothing. But now he's one-on-one with Jesus. He wants us to love him. God calls us. Grace calls us to love preeminently more than these, to love unconditionally with agape-type love. But grace also calls us to love the one who knows us intimately. I love the fact that Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you, you know me. Well, why are you asking these questions? You know what's on the, in the inside of me. You know my heart. So if you know me like you know me so intimately, I can't lie to you. I can't fool you. Why are you asking me these questions? But then you say, wow. So if God knows even the status of your heart, God knows the times that you don't mean what you say. God knows the times when you're just lying to yourself and to him. God knows the times when you are going to disappoint him. And God still loves you. And he says, I love you just as you are, and I understand you even more than you understand yourself. Wow. See, a God that would love Dale, knowing every secret about Dale, 
that I would be embarrassed to tell you. That's my kind of guy. He loves each of us where we are, how we are, and then he calls us to love him preeminently, unconditionally, knowing that he knows us best. Another way to say it is like this. Jesus loves us as we ought to love, even when we fail to love as we ought. That's good. Jesus loves you. He loves you as you are. He models for us the kind of love we should have for others and for him. And he does it even when we are failing to do it ourselves. It's not conditional. It's not based on our performance. It's based on grace. And that's why I say that the big lesson of this morning is this. It begins with the idea that the grace of God, when you understand how much he loves you when you don't deserve it, the grace of God calls us to love him preeminently. Got that? Then secondly, loving him preeminently calls us to serve. Grace calls us to love. Love then calls us to serve. And that's why he repeats three times with Peter. Then Peter, if you love me, then tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Boom, boom, boom. Three times. How many times did Jesus, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Answer? Three. How many times did Jesus force Peter to reaffirm and state out loud his love? Three. I think he was helping Peter process his own shame, process his own guilt. Understand that, look, Peter, if you love me, that's all. I don't care about the past. If you love me, let's go to work. If you love me, let's go not just catch stinking fish that are worth a lot of money. Let's do something even more exciting. Let's catch people. Let's go out and change the world. Let's go out, whether it's across the street or across the ocean in Africa, let's go impact our world for Jesus. That's what Peter is being called to do. And he says, I don't care if you did deny me, Peter. I love you and I'm putting you back in the business of expanding the kingdom of God. And he calls him back into ministry. Love calls us, grace calls us to love. Love calls us to serve. And then last but not least, then the, he, he tells us that serving calls us to sacrifice. Where do I see that? Well, just read the text. Here it is, verse 18. So Peter, Jesus says, so Peter, tend my sheep. Verse 18, truly, truly, Peter, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to tie yourself up, gird yourself, walk around, but walk around wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will gird you, tie you, and bring you where you do not wish to go. And it says, now this Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said, so follow me. See, what he's predicting is he's telling Peter, follow, <laughs> you know, serving me will mean sacrifice. In your case, Peter, it's an indication you're going to give your life. You're going to be tied up. You're going to give your life. Now, history debates how Peter died. One theory, uh, one historian talks about the fact that Peter was going to be crucified uh, as a martyr for his faith. And he said, I don't deserve to be crucified like Jesus. So they crucified him upside down. Other historians debate that and say, I think that's kind of a, probably a myth that never really happened. But we do know this. Peter was, Peter was executed for his faith. I can't tell you for sure how he was executed. 
He may have been beheaded like others that were following him. He may have been lit like a torch in the streets of Rome. I, I don't know how he, how he was martyred, but we do know Peter was martyred for his faith. That's clear. Peter was bound up and martyred for his faith to follow Jesus. Peter, you're going to have to give your life for me. But now, follow me. Follow me. At this point, it gets interesting, too, because Peter looks over his shoulder and he sees John following them, probably trying to listen in on the conversation. And, and Peter says this, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple that Jesus loved, John, following them, the one who had also leaned on his bosom at the Last Supper. And he says, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Uh, this was John. John did all this. So Peter, seeing John, said to Jesus, Lord, what about, what about, what about him? What about John? And Jesus says, if I want him to stay alive until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, he says, look, don't worry about John. John's got his own deal. All of us have a different sacrifice that we're going to make. John would have to sacrifice Peter would sacrifice. But the, the, what Jesus is saying is, look, here it is. See my grace. Grace calls you to love. And out of our love for Christ, love calls us to serve, tend my sheep, get involved in ministry, help other people grow, love someone toward Christ. Do it in your everyday world, as Ryan says. I love that phrase. Where you will be on Monday is your place of ministry. For me, for Becky and I, we get on a plane Monday. You can pray for us, and that'll make you a part of our trip. Because we wouldn't be making this trip if it wasn't for people praying for us and giving to help us be free to, to train pastors in Africa or in Greece or anything else. But the bottom line is, you go. As our elders like to say, we're 100% sent. You are a sent follower of Jesus. Get involved in helping other people in your time, talents, treasure, whatever God entrusts to you, get involved in making a difference for the kingdom of God. Because, and don't do it out of guilt, and don't do it out of shame, and don't do it out of obligation. Do it because you love Him. If you love me, feed my sheep. So what is it? Grace calls us to love. Love calls us to serve. And serve calls us to sacrifice you got to be willing to give something up maybe you give a few of those fish that god helps you land this week in the business that you're in maybe you give up some of those fish to help change someone else's life whatever it is it begins with love love motivated spurred on by grace pray, pray with me Father, thank you so much as the band comes to lead us in a final song. We thank you. We thank you for how um, you model for us the power of grace to restore us. Thank you that grace calls us to love, to serve, even to sacrifice. Thank you that we do it because we love you, not because we have to, but because we want to. So would you build into each of our lives, Father, a ministry, a ministry that is motivated by a deep love for the one who gave himself for us. And would you use us this week, every place we go, 
in Christ's name. Amen.